Good morning, guys. So, I'm going to keep talking about events in Washington because as more information comes out, it becomes clear just how sinister a plot this was and how many players there were and how organized it was and how there were tendrils into the Pentagon, into lawmakers, into all sorts of places. And as I'll talk about, I think it's incredibly important that that we keep reorganizing our understanding of what happened as more information comes out, rather than letting our first take be the take that we have, because in many ways it's no longer accurate. I think the two most helpful sources that I have found for what feels like behind-the-scenes information on what actually happened are The Wire, a fantastic daily podcast by the New York Times um, that uh, really went behind the, the, the scenes to talk about what happened in the days and months leading up and on the day of, and also the newsletter called Letters from an American by Heather Cox Richardson that this morning her letter really laid out sort of what's happening now and what we know. There are other great sources as well, but those are the ones that are informing what I'm saying right now. So I think how we talk about the attack is important. Clearly it started as a rally, which then turned into a march of protesters to the Capitol, which then turned into a mob, which then turned into a riot, which then, if we are being honest, turned into an attack. It is no longer a riot. Saying it was a riot doesn't describe what happened. Not at the level of beating officers and and beating their way into a building with intent to cause harm in a premeditated way. I think the premeditation is the important thing. And so I think we need to be accurate in how we talk about it because those words matter and those words are how we talk about it is going to shape how it goes down in history and how we think about it in a historical context will matter in what happens going forward. From my understanding, uh, Nancy Pelosi laid out three paths going forward. Before the weekend, she gave Mike Pence an opportunity to invoke the 25th Amendment, removing Donald Trump from office. And for whatever reason, he refused to do so. During the weekend, she gave Mitch McConnell a chance to talk Trump into resigning. And Trump would not resign. Now we're moving forward with impeachment. And while 
it will not be possible to impeach Trump before the inauguration. Um, moving forward with impeachment does allow for the opportunity to convict and ban Trump from uh, seeking any further office in the future. It is fairly unlikely that that will happen, but from what I understand, Pelosi is doing everything she can to give Republicans cover so that they can vote for it if their consciences tell them to do so. She's also giving what uh, Heather Cox Richardson describes as a shot across the bow by <clears throat> asking each Republican lawmaker what they think the 14th Amendment means when it says that anyone who engages in or supports the activities that seek to overthrow a government should be banned from holding office. Essentially saying, look, you are legally culpable in this, if you supported them in any way. And there were clearly lawmakers who supported them and continue to support them. So we face what is still a very dangerous moment in history in that how we handle this, how this all plays out with all the power shifts and stuff will, will shape whether this goes down as something that is uh, radioactive and unacceptable and no one will ever consider doing it again, or at least not for a very long time, or whether Republicans feel like they can get away with it. Part of the gambit with impeachment is that if they impeach Trump, then it means that Joe Biden's ability to hit the ground running with economic stimulus and coronavirus relief is somewhat hampered by the fact that Congress is uh, going to be working on impeachment. And obviously the Republicans are hoping that that will be enough of a dissentive that they won't have to deal with it. But from what I see now, it doesn't seem like that's going to be enough of a disincentive. Here's why it matters what we all do in this moment. It matters what we all do in this moment because history is shaped, at least partly, by the collective zeitgeist of how these things are talked about and how these things are remembered by us, not just by uh, what happens at the highest level politically, but by how we talk about it amongst ourselves. And history is full of examples of coups that failed, followed sometimes by months, sometimes by years, by coups that succeeded. The most famous example is Hitler, who attempted a coup in Germany that failed in the 20s, and then attempted another coup in the 30s that succeeded. And we all know what happened next. So, 
it is critical that we don't get complacent and feel like it's over because it's not over. And there's a very fine line to be walked here between holding those who are responsible accountable while also giving those who are less responsible moral and political space to do what is right now, even if they didn't do what, is, what was right back then. Because the truth is, for us to have the response that we need, we need as many Republicans on our side doing this with us as possible. And so there's a delicate balance to be walked, and I am not apologizing for their behavior in the past, but pragmatically, for us to have the kind of decisive response and decisive repudiation of this, a meaningful repudiation of this that we need, we need allies across the spectrum. And that means not alienating people. So there needs to be some discretion of, well, who do you alienate and who do you try to bring to your side? And that is going to require us as a people to be thoughtful and nuanced about where we take the conversation. And I really do mean all of us, not just where other people take the conversation, but where do we take the conversation? Because we can feed into divisive narratives that hold every single Republican accountable and claim that every single Republican should be removed from office for going along with Trump over the years. But that will actually get us the opposite result of what we want. That will lead to more division and more resistance to holding anyone accountable because there will be the feeling of it's us versus them. It needs to be all of us versus a few. We need to be willing to bring into our camp people with whom we really hold big differences in opinion, in how we have behaved in the past, and we need to come together and repudiate this together. And that's tricky, that's nuanced, that requires us to have some moral courage of our own, to say things that people are going to disapprove of us for. That's what I've been doing for the last bunch of days. And it's frankly been a mixed bag. I've strained some friendships to the breaking point, but I think that this is I think this is a moment when we need to be really thoughtful about what our priorities are and how we're going to get there. And for me, the priority is getting as much meaningful punishment for those at the highest level as we possibly can, meaning Trump and the 10 or 20 lawmakers who were most 
adamant about supporting him in his false claims and helping whip up this sense of urgency. I think there's going to be plenty of arrests at the middle management and down level of people who actually took part in the protests. And even though people were frustrated, as was I, that many people were allowed to leave, there is what I've heard described as perhaps the, the largest federal investigation in history underway now as they start to reel people in. And so I feel confident that justice will prevail there. What I am less confident in, because historically this has been the way it has gone, is that justice will prevail at the highest level. And for justice to prevail at the highest level, we need to be able to think pragmatically about what will get us there. And a big part of what will get us there is being careful about what we are demanding. I heard an excellent thing on the radio this morning on NPR about police departments around the country examining what roles any of their members might have had in this. And sort of the role of police neutrality or apoliticalness. I'm not sure what the right word is. All right, come on, let's, let's turn around. Come on. And I actually think it's an excellent point, which is that it is so crucial for our police, as well as our judiciary system, as well as our military, to be as apolitical as possible. That's not to say that they can't hold their own beliefs, but they need to, they need to keep it clearly segregated from what they do and how they behave. And it's, uh, it's relevant to consider how that stands in contrast to what we as a community need to do. Um, I have a mentor who's, uh, has a business in the town that we used to live in, who said to us when we moved to town, I forget, it was back in the Obama years, he said, you know, as much as possible, I try not to let anyone know my politics because it's needlessly divisive, uh, for my business. And... For many years, we behaved that way, and and still do to a large extent. I, I don't like making my political slant. Mm, I don't like pushing that out there. But I feel like this moment is not about politics. 
this moment is about our democracy, our collective democracy, Republicans, Democrats, all of us. And and I think we, each of us, need to think about how we can contribute to the conversation that is happening now in a thoughtful way that will, as much as possible, lead to an outcome where this will never happen again. And that means doing and saying things that will make some people in your circle angry. I don't think it means calling people out. And I honestly don't think it means calling people in. I think it means generously saying what you think is true and what you think needs to happen and letting people respond to that. Because this is an instance where you really do need to attract people with honey. Because the vast majority of us all agree that this was horrible, that this was an attack on our country and on our, our political way of life and that it cannot stand. And the way we're going to mess this up is if we ourselves either say nothing and let it slide or if we go too polarized and fall back into the same ruts that have kept us apart. So it's a delicate thing that I'm asking of each of you. I'm asking you to walk on the crust of ground between two ruts and actually talk about this thing. And I understand that it's scary and emotionally paralyzing, and I understand that it's going to lead to uncomfortable conversations and I understand that it might feel like this isn't your fight but if you live in the United States this is your fight this is our fight and if we don't fight now there's a real chance that the fight will be much, much more painful in the future. Thank you for listening with an open mind and an open heart. We'll talk tomorrow.